Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today I'm going to be talking about biblical interpretation as conversion to the heart of God. This is a topic that's near and dear to deep dive spirituality because the goal of my work, and I see this my life's work now, is to equip persons who are committed to growing in love for God, neighbor, and self for the sake of the rest of the world. And I want to share a few ideas that I've been mauling over for well over a decade now. In one of my earlier books, Realigning with God, I actually say that the goal of biblical interpretation is conversion. And I want to go even deeper than where I was when I wrote those words about 15 years ago, because what I'm talking about now, and this is in light of all of the time that I've spent in contemplative practices, especially in centering prayer, I'm growing more and more convinced that if we want to truly live as the hands, the feet, the mouthpieces of Jesus, if we want to be voices of hope in a world that wants to essentially crush hopes, crush dreams, if we want to be sources of of unity in in places where all there is is division, if we want to be able to see the other, whether it's an opponent or a person that we think needs our help, we need to have a deeper soul connection with those people by seeing within ourselves that ultimately we need just as much grace as the people that we're trying and seeking to serve. So when I talk about the primary purpose of reading the Bible is conversion. What I'm really talking about is the is my own need to convert first to the text and then obviously sharing that good news of the text in a way that invites other people to align or realign with with God, with God's values, God's mission, God's heart. And here's the reality. It has to start with us first. If you're reading scripture, it, uh, the conversion has to start. And again, I'm not talking about if you've been following Jesus for a long time, that literally that for the first time you're experiencing conversion. I'm talking about reconversion, realignment, an ongoing life that says, I can always go a little bit more deeper into grace. There's still parts of my life that haven't been fully surrendered to God that are still blocking what the Spirit wants to do in my life so that I can then be an ambassador of abundance to every single person I meet each day. Because if I haven't personally been converted to the message of the, ta- of the text before I share it, I risk playing the Pharisee. And you remember those folks. Pharisees were well-intentioned persons who loved God and loved Scripture, but ultimately were blind to their own need and blind to what the text was really calling them to be and become. And, and when, my, when we play Pharisees today, we, we risk imposing our ideals, our ideologies, our standards, that perhaps we are blind to the fact that we actually don't live them out either. 
So what does it mean to convert to the message of the text? It means listening to the Bible when we read it for what it demands of my life and then realigning myself with it. It involves praying for deep astonishment and illumination so that I can be sensitive to my own blind spots and the glaring areas of my own hypocrisy. It involves risking being open to surprise attacks from the text on our sense of our holiness. John Wesley one of the founders of the Methodist movement has a powerful sermon called The Repentance of Believers in which he recognized the need for repentance subsequent to our justification and our new birth. And Wesley saw the second act of repentance as a critical doorway to the deeper transformation that he called entire sanctification or Christian perfection or holiness of, of, of heart and life or even just love for God and neighbor. Wesley in particularly zero in particular zeroed in on feelings of pride or superiority, self-will, jealousy, unkind speech, sins of omission and inward defects. And I don't know about you when I read that list that hits a little bit home, close to home. And of inward defects, it's notable that Wesley spoke of lingering guilt, fear and struggles loving God. Those of you who've listened to other episodes of this podcast, I like to talk about the unholy trinity as the thing that wars against our souls. And it's interesting, Wesley talked about guilt, fear, and struggles loving God. Um, that sounds very much like guilt, fear, and shame that so many of brothers and sisters today struggle with. Wesley appears to be talking about the lingering effects of that unholy trinity of guilt i don't do enough there's always something that i think i should be doing if i only did that i'd feel better about myself that that's guilt false guilt most of the time shame i'm just not good enough i'm not enough and fear i don't have enough wesley reads these feelings in his sermon as signals that point for the need for sanctifying grace the good news friends when we open ourselves up to conversion as we read, is that God's grace is abundant, God's grace is sufficient, and it's able to transform us. You know, we call that sanctifying grace, and sanctifying grace slowly saturates us. It's a work of the Spirit so that we reflect more consistently the values of Jesus' kingdom. And you know, there's no better list of those values than when Paul lays out the fruits of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, that's the sermon that I want to see. I want to see that lived out. These virtues are ways of describing a life that grows in love for God, neighbor, and self. The problem, though, is the allure of the false promises of the flesh. You know, what is our flesh? Our flesh is who we are apart from God's grace. It's that mixture of, of our shadow self. It's that mixture of our gifts and talents, the things that we're best at. It's that sense of self-reliance that we, can, we have or the sense of learned helplessness that other people have. Our flesh longs for relief from fear, guilt, and shame. 
And the constant temptation that we have is to soothe our lostness with human solutions. Now, that can include religious legalism. And friends, we see way too much of that today. The idea that we'll hide behind the things that we value the most and it basically scapegoat, ostracize other people because they think a little bit differently. It can also be soothed to commitments to grand causes, political ideologies. It can also be soothed, of course, by addictions to substances or practices that ultimately war against our soul. And let's not forget, and now I'm speaking to pastors and spiritual leaders in particularly, there's one addiction that we can use to cover up our own lack, and that's overwork. And I just want to remind everybody listening, if you're a spiritually committed person who's very involved in the church, you will never be criticized, or the only addiction for which you'll never be criticized by anyone is workaholism. Instead, you'll be lionized for someone who sacrifices everything for the kingdom. But But there's a difference between sacrificing for a season, being willing to give of yourself, and doing it because of the sense of lack that we have on the inside. And that's because confronting our inner pain and guilt is hard. Jesus' profound question, for what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life, comes to mind. When we face the pain and refuse to soothe it with false solutions, that's when we're really ready for transformation. So that's what I'm talking about conversion. It's when we're ready to surrender our own junk, or when we're ready for, to surrender our need for the text to validate us, when we're ready to surrender our need for the text to maybe judge someone else, and we're ready to refuse to soothe the hurt in our own life with false solutions, we're then ready for transformation. And I'm willing then to approach Scripture from a position of being somewhere between an uncertain certainty and a certain uncertainty. I'm willing to feel the pain and ache of anxiety and the sense of lack because I know that there's a deeper magic to be found by not succumbing to the world's siren song of easy comfort. Instead, and this is the critical thing, I'm willing to risk the temporary discomfort of inner transformation for the possibility of a long-term deep-dive spirituality. And friends, Scripture shows us that road. It shows us that ocean of possibilities if we're simply willing to take a deep dive and let scripture confront us so when we read scripture we will hear its call for ongoing repentance jesus opened his public ministry with a powerful exhortation for a total realignment of life and priorities jesus said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand matthew 4 17. a better translation of repent here is be continuing repenting or be continually realigning. Jesus does not have a one-time act in mind. 
Moreover, the power of Jesus' call to ongoing repentance is in its comprehensiveness. Jesus does not qualify or limit the scope by providing any specific guidance. He doesn't tell us what to repent of. The whole point is you have to repent of everything that doesn't fully align. So there's no wiggle room. There's no checklist. Oh, I repented of these three things, so now I'm good. There's no checklist. So Jesus is calling us to rid ourselves of anything that hinders us from fully embodying the kingdom. The only clue is found in Jesus' next action. And he calls disciples to participate in God's mission by following him. So we need community. In other words, Jesus' life and teaching serve as a litmus test for our repentance. Jesus calls us to follow him. Repentance becomes a way of life rather than a mile marker we reach. Ongoing conversion is the thing that we see as we look back from at the progress that we've made. Jesus invites us to lean in a little bit further every time we read scripture if we're willing to hear the scripture's call to change. And why do we need to change? It's because the only way to follow Jesus is to be in constant motion. But that means we have to continually make little adjustments, just like a GPS changes depending on if we make a wrong turn or it tells us to make a little right, a little left, to go straight ahead. There's this ongoing, continual reshifting, reorienting, realigning, repenting that allows us to make adjustments in our life so that we can open ourselves up more to be like Jesus. So how do we know adjustments to make? This is where Scripture helps us. The Jesus that we follow is the Jesus revealed in Scripture. To simply ask that question, what would Jesus do? That's a good question, but it's insufficient apart from a habitual engagement of the Bible. Because how would we know what Jesus would do? Apart from Scripture's witness, the temptation would be simply to create a Jesus who essentially mirrors our values. And if we make Jesus in our own image, what are we doing other than practicing an idolatry? And that would be really ironic, wouldn't it? So how do we avoid making Jesus in our image? It's committing to get back to where we began, to being the first convert to whatever part of Scripture we're reading. It's always recognizing how the text challenges us before pondering all the ways that this text calls into question the lives and beliefs of others. It's being mindful of Jesus' warnings to the scribe and Pharisees who were seeking to stone a woman in adultery. They sought to draw Jesus into a trap, but he wisely replied to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone against her. John 8, 7. Jesus was not excusing the woman's sin. Instead, Jesus models a restorative approach. He was without sin and could have picked up a stone and thrown it with integrity, yet he did not condemn her. Rather, he sent her home with the exhortation, go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. What's the key ball work or bulwark against idolatry in our own lives, in our world? It's scripture. The entire point of this message, really, I would even say the entire point of the way that I teach scripture, whether it's in my latest book, Astonished by the Word, or in other videos that you can find on my YouTube channel, Deep Dive Spirituality with Dr. Brian Russell, or if you're in one of my classes at some point, or look at any of my other resources, the whole point is to advocate a reading of the Bible that calls us to ongoing transformation in a way that allows us to truly impact the world for the love of God and love for neighbor, for impact the world for Christ. 
when Jesus called his disciples after he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can read about this in Matthew 4, 18 to 22. His call was missional, communal, and transformational. It was missional because Jesus called the disciples to become people who would fish for people. It was communal because Jesus calls a group. He doesn't just call individuals. At the very beginning, he calls two sets of two brothers. So there was never a moment when there wasn't a community. It was never just the lone Christian. It was always a community, a couple of Christians with Jesus. And it was transformational in the sense that by following Jesus, the disciples were committed to becoming like their master. Later in the New Testament, James, in his book, warns against hearing the word apart from doing. Reading for scripture for deep formation involves hearing and doing. That's where the conversion part comes in. The proof is in the actions that we take after we read when we align ourselves with the message of scripture. To remain the same, according to James, is to be like a person who looks at themselves in a mirror and on going away immediately forget what they were like. I trust none of us hearing these words desires to forget our reflection. Let me share you a few, with you a few questions that I use that help me in my study of the text, and I'll make sure that these are in the show notes. And these are these honest, kind of hard-hitting questions. When you read a passage, you're not done with it until you've asked some questions like this. Where do I struggle to align or realign my life with the message of this passage? Or with the message of Jesus? What are the blind spots in my life in which I'm not the first convert to the text that I study? You know, what are texts that when you read them, you're immediately thinking about someone else instead of turning it back on yourself? Where do I need to be reminded to put into action the clear teaching of Scripture? What's really holding me back from living out the Word? Again, if I can be of any service, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at brian at brianrussellphd.com. If you found this episode helpful, would you share it with somebody who maybe needs to hear it today? Would you put a review somewhere? And if, if uh, you really enjoyed this, I'd invite you to check out again my most recent book, Astonished by the Word, Reading Scripture for Deep Transformation. Some of the ideas that I've shared in this episode are directly out of the book that where I pull together my best thinking on how to read the Bible in a way that really cracks through and opens us up to the transformation that God wants to do in our lives. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a real privilege serving you today. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope to others.